Hope Church. It's good to see you. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan, the lead pastor here, and uh, it's good to be together this morning to worship and to take on an interesting topic that we're going to be exploring here together this morning. But before we do so, a couple of things to uh, highlight. First is the connection card. If you have not had a chance yet to turn this in, uh, when you leave here and go through the center doors, there's a box back there, and you can place this in the box there. And on the back side, there's a section for prayer, and we do pray every week for you. So if you have any prayer needs, we would count it a privilege to pray for you uh, in that way. I also want to welcome those who are watching on Facebook this morning. Glad you are with us as we take on again an interesting topic. But before we get to that, we are, we're wrapping up this sermon series called I Want to Believe But, and next week we transition to a new series called Money Matters, and we're going to be taking on the issue of finances and, and how to honor God in this area of our lives. We're going to be having lots of tools for you, uh, hopefully encouragement, uh, resources over the next four weeks, and so we're looking forward to that starting next Sunday. A couple of things I wanted to mention as well. One is today, immediately after the second service, we're having what we call a Leaders Together huddle. And this is for all the leaders of New Hope Church. This is staff and elders, but also it's ministry leaders, small group leaders, and, and, and really it's everybody. If anybody is wanting to come and be a part of this, it's 45 minutes. That's all that it is, from 1145 to 1230. And in 45 minutes, we talk about where we're at as a church and where we're going. It's a chance to ask questions. Today's going to be very interactive, and so I want you to know that you are invited to be a part of a Leaders Together huddle today after the second service. One more quick ad before we jump into the message, and that is we have a church partner called Bridgeway Church. Uh, many of you know Mark Doss or Tim Bolin, who are part of New Hope Church, and they moved to the Des Moines area, and they are reaching people there in the downtown area. And uh, I bring this up because today they're having their first worship service or worship gathering, which is really a neat accomplishment. It's really a, a very exciting thing. It's later on this today, and, and I just want to ask that you would pray for them, that uh, as they come to mind, would you pray for Bridgeway Church? Would you pray for their first service today, that they'd get uh, lots of people would come together? It'd be a lot of momentum and encouragement as this new church uh, gets off the ground. We are, we're very excited with them, and so I know we're going to be praying for them as well. So I just wanted to make you, aware, make you aware of Bridgeway City Church and all the good things happening there. So as I said, today we're taking on an interesting topic. Uh, they say, in fact, that if you want to avoid conflict, don't talk about two things, right? Faith and politics. And we're talking about both today. So we're in for an interesting ride here this morning as we take on this topic. But I think this is really important to do so because I think a lot of people look at where we're at as a country and they look at our politics and they look at our government and, and there's, there's, there's fear and I think there's frustration or even anger sometimes. I think people can feel shock. And then sometimes as time goes on and enough exposure to different things in politics, the things that, you know, you start to feel shocked that the things that used to shock you don't shock you anymore. Because it's almost like it's the normal stuff that starts to happen as we look at what's going on in Washington. And so this is an important topic to, to take on. I think a lot of people, and including the church, we need some hope in this area. And I think even more than that, we need to approach this and say, in light of politics, what does the Bible say about that? And how can I think biblically about this important topic that impacts all of our lives? The church needs some handles, and we need some encouragement. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning, because here's the thing, and, it's, and I know the election coming up here very shortly, the timeliness of it is, is fine and all, but if nothing is ever said about something like this, in terms of what the Bible says about politics, I think what begins to form in our minds is that there's nothing to be said about it. 
But that's not true at all. The Bible has all kinds of things to say about this area of our lives. And so we as a church, we need to think biblically and think well about this area. So I will admit to you right on the front, this is a very different kind of a sermon this morning. So you may leave here this morning and say that was interesting or you'll love it or whichever. But here's the thing. I want, I want to push us all to think this morning and really to think biblically. There's a lot we could talk about. But what I want to do specifically is talk about three convictions. These are three convictions that if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care if you're a Democrat, Libertarian, or something else, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that these are three convictions that I'm convinced that you should cling to, agree with, and strive to live out. Now, you may not agree with me. That's okay. My hope is that this week, starting today, that you would, you would wrestle with these ideas, that you would talk about them as a family, that small groups I know are going to be all over the town and all this week are going to be wrestling with these different uh, topics that we're going to be looking at this morning. So three convictions. So if you would, grab your Bibles, please. And we're going to begin in the book of Matthew chapter 22. And I want to introduce our first conviction here in our last message in the I want to believe, but, and for this morning, it's what about faith and politics. Here is the first conviction that I hope that you agree with and embrace regarding politics. Here it is. It's this, that we worship the lamb, not the elephant or the donkey. We worship the lamb, not the elephant or the donkey. What does that mean? It means that we worship Jesus as a follower of Christ. We're to worship Jesus, not the Republican Party, not the Democrat Party. It, it, see, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, that's not to be our source of hope. That's not to be our source of answers or security. Rather, we place that in a different kingdom and in a different king, the king of kings, Jesus who's in control, who's sovereign, who has a good plan for our lives, that he's the one as the church of Christ that we look to, not first and most to these political parties, not to candidates, not to policies, anything of that sort. You know what's interesting about Jesus is that when he lived, he had this amazing way to live above the fray when it came to politics. That oftentimes people would try to pin him in, ask questions or try to get his political uh, either allegiance, uh, even try to make him king, that kind of a thing. And yet Jesus had a way of not buying into that. Let me show you one example. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, we're going to pick up in verse 21. It, it, here, one day Jesus is, is with a crowd and some Pharisees ask Jesus a political question. This is just one of a few different examples. The question they asked him is, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is a trap question because the way the question is framed, no matter how Jesus answers it, because it's taking a political stand one way or another, it's a trap. If Jesus says, yes, it's right to pay taxes to Rome, now he's offended the Jewish people. And politically, they think he's against them. If he says no, now he's offended Rome, and now they could turn him into Rome as being somebody who's against the government there. You see where it's a no-win uh, situation for Jesus with this question. It's a trap question. And yet Jesus answers it in an interesting and important way. He asks for a coin used to pay taxes, and there's an example of what it would have looked like. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, it says this. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to him. 
Notice the coin has the stamp or the image of Caesar on it. So that's Caesar's coin, if you will. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to him, but everything that belongs to God must be given to God. So it raises the question, what belongs to God? And among many other things, the primary answer is you. You. Because just like that coin was stamped with the image of Caesar on it, indicating as Jesus may have held it up so they could all see that this belongs to Caesar, it has his image on it. So you are created in the image or likeness of God, that his stamp is on you. And so it's our privilege and our act of obedience then to give to God what belongs to him. Our heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything belongs to him. Jesus here, again, above the political phrase, says, look, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to him. And that's you and I. See, here's the point. It can be so tempting, so tempting to put our hope in a political party, in a candidate, or in a policy. It can be so tempting to think that that's where our answer is going to come, that it's going to come from Caesar and not from the real king, whose image I am made in and you are as well. We look to him for that, not to a political party for the solutions that we face. Do y'all remember the uh, nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty? So I, I heard this from Tony Evans, and he's a pastor, and he, he laid out this way. You know how the rhyme goes. Next slide, please. It goes this, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty, back to, Humpty Dumpty back together again. Remember that from little, okay, preschool, all that kind of stuff. Okay, good. So, so what's going on here in this nursery? Because sometimes we hear these things, we know them, we can say them, but what's going on here? Well, what's going on here illustrates this point perfectly. Because Humpty Dumpty, obviously something happened in his life. He had a fall. He's shattered. He's broken. Something happened to him. Now, rather than turning to family or friends or his church, where does he go? Well, in this case, he apparently turns to the White House. And we know this because, uh, because the king gets involved. And so he goes to Washington, and he goes to the White House, apparently, in our little version, and he gets the king involved, and he says, look, I've had a great fall, and so the president, or the king, is, is sympathetic to him. So what does the king do? Well, the king gets Congress involved. Now, how do we know that? Well, because all the king's horses and all the king's men start to rally together. So he gets Congress involved, and he says, look, Humpty, Humpty had a great fall. What are we going to do? So they pass a, because they're sympathetic, a let's fix Humpty Dumpty law. And that is a way to then solve the problem, because that's what government does, right? They, solve, they pass laws. They try to solve problems. They're sympathetic. They do what they're built to do. But did that fix Humpty Dumpty? The king's men couldn't put him back together again. And that illustrates the point. Far too many Christians even, the church, think the answers or the solutions, all, at least the major ones in life, are going to be found or solved in Washington, D.C. That's not necessarily true. Government has a role to play. But we turn to the king of kings. We turn to the Lord of lords. We are to worship the lamb, not the elephant, not the donkey. We're made in his image, and our real solution, our hope, and our encouragement come from him. That's conviction number one. We turn there. Here's conviction number two. Conviction number two is this, that the church should engage politically. Now, some of you, in your heart and mind, you're pushing back on this idea. 
You're pushing back on this. The church should engage politically. So at first we just said that we worship the lamb, not the elephant or the donkey. And so, so we keep that separation and then we look to Jesus. But now we're saying we're actually to get involved politically. That almost feels like it's both sides. What's going on here? See, some in the church, some followers of Christ, they hold that the church should have nothing to do with politics. But then there's other believers who are very politically engaged and want to be involved. And then there's a whole group of people probably in the middle, we'll just call it that way, and they're not sure what to think. But either way, I want to suggest to you this morning that the church should be engaged politically. If you're here this morning and you have this kind of, uh, you're resistant to this idea, I want to show you a famous picture because it highlights the importance of politics. Here's the picture. On the bottom there is South Korea, vibrant economically engaged. There's freedoms there and a large Christian influence. Look to the north of North Korea. It's a concentration camp. There's nothing going on. There's no lights. There's no freedoms. There's very little to none Christian influence there. This picture here illustrates that politics matter. They really do. Your ability to share the gospel freely your ability to carry your Bible, as some of you may have done this morning, our ability to meet freely here this morning or in your small groups and homes around the community, all of that, to some degree, tethers back to politics. Politics does have a role. It does play a role. See, laws, which come back to politics, affect things like freedom, like church, your children and how you raise them, family, health, money, Business, property, school, home, security, safety, the poor, the unborn. You can almost say everyone and everything has some kind of connection to politics. It really is important, whether we're talking about a federal level, state, or a local level. Politics does matter. And so why should the church engage politically? Because the church can do so much good. So much good. There's so much so many opportunities that we have to engage for good. And throughout history, we see example after example of this positive influence playing out in world history, in governments and laws, including outlawing things like infanticide, uh, fighting slavery, protecting life. That was the church and believers that led out on those types of missions. We have the opportunity to do so much good. So how can we get engaged? What can we do to engage politically? I want to throw out some ideas for us this morning. Here's, here's one idea, is that you and I, that we commit to learning about today's political issues. That we are aware, that we pay attention to what's going on, that we read. And that as we're, as we're doing this, we're also careful about where we consume our news. Understand there's media bias, and so media plays to different audiences with different messages for a different purpose. And so we pay attention to that, but either way, we, we understand what's going on today in our political landscape, both here in the United States and around the world. Here's another way that we can engage, that we evaluate political issues through scripture. You all, for example, remember the circus with Judge Kavanaugh. I mean, so many of us were captivated with this and what's going on. I don't mean captivated in a good way, I mean, kind of shocked at what was going on. We're not going to unpack that this morning, but you consider a situation like that. Well, what does scripture say about that scene? And how do I take an event like that and line it up with scripture? 
That's worth spending some time thinking about. Or different political laws or positions that are held. Well, what does the Bible say about that? And how do I line those two up? And so we evaluate political issues through Scripture. That's a way to engage. Number three, to vote. And specifically vote, as John MacArthur often says, vote for righteousness. Vote for righteousness. Next, number four, that we can pray, and we'll be talking about this later on, but we can pray for our leaders and our nation. That we intentionally and consistently pray for our leaders that they would fulfill their role, the role that God has for our government and our leaders, that, that they would fulfill that role. And then finally, number five, that we as, as followers of Christ, politically, as we engage, that we would always, always practice civility. We're losing this in our culture. We're losing the ability to engage with other people that we don't agree with in a respectful and courteous way. We're losing this. In fact, uh, today it's often said that anger is everywhere and understanding is nowhere. It's, it's sad. We're losing the ability for discourse. In fact, I saw this picture this week. Check this out. Besides the fact it's a little self-refuting, um, there's no civility in that. And it's tragic. We're losing the ability to ask questions. We're losing the ability to listen to somebody else's perspective that you don't agree with and be okay and ask more questions and smile and engage with somebody and exchange ideas in a respectful way. See, respect doesn't mean everybody's right. That word has been redefined. Respect means that you and I can disagree, but I still value you as an individual and I will extend all the dignity that is worth to you. That's what it means. So we need to engage politically, but we need to do so in a way that is civil to one another. So we worship the Lamb. We're to engage politically. Those are the first two convictions, and here's number three. Our third conviction, again, no matter which political party you're a part of, here's number three, this. The government should have a limited role. Now, again, some of you on the inside might be like, oh, I don't know, I, I kind of want to push back on that a little bit. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Why are we saying this? So, so biblically speaking here now, government should have a limited role. Now, I, I fully recognize in the past decade especially, we have seen an unprecedented expansion of government. We've seen expansion of government in all different sectors. I mean, there's an expansion of control, expansion of, of spending, expansion of size. Did you know that the federal government, the size, number of employees in the federal government today are more than the entire manufacturing sector in the entire United States? There are a lot. I mean, it's, it's growing in leaps and bounds. And then as it's growing, though, all the while, there's a decrease in freedom and there's a decrease in privacy. In fact, I have to tell you a joke real quick. Can I tell you a joke? Okay, here's the joke. You can show it to somebody else. The, the NSA, you guys know who the NSA is? So the NSA, the joke is this. They're the one government organization that actually listens to you. All right, I didn't get much laugh on that. Okay, that's okay, that's okay. I want to suggest this morning, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that the government should have a limited role. Now, to explain this, I need to, I need to back up for just a minute. So, so hang with me for just a second, because I think some of this is going to be new for you here, at least for, for some of you this morning. So follow me on this. I need us to understand the difference between what's called a positive right and a negative right. 
Now, I know the titles of them seem like one's good, one's bad. That's not what it is. A positive right is the right for someone like you and I to receive something. Does that make sense, right? You have the right to receive something. A negative right is different. A negative right is the idea that you have the right to be protected while you go out and get this thing, whatever it is, for yourself. So on one hand, you have the right to get it from somebody else. The other, you have the right to be afforded the freedom and the protection to go and seek it for yourself. Okay, that's between the two different, the two different types of rights. Now, here's my question for you, not to answer out loud, but just to think inside your mind. Healthcare in the United States, is that a positive right or a negative right? It's going to pause that. You just think about this. Is healthcare a positive right or a negative right? Now, now for so, those who say it's a positive right, what that means is that it's the government's job to provide it for you. It's even their moral duty to bestow, in this case, health care for you. That is your positive right. The other perspective, negative right, says no. In regards to health care, it's the government's job to protect me from discrimination and all kinds of other things so that I on my own can pursue my own form of health care. See the difference? One, you receive it, and that's your right. The other, you're protected so you can go get it for yourself. Okay, that's, that's an important foundational piece right there. Now, I want to suggest to you, I want to propose this morning that the Bible teaches it's the role of the government to provide for you negative rights, not positive rights. Negative rights, not positive and I believe the Founding Fathers held the same idea. Now, I want us to think of Scripture. I want you to see this idea is in the Bible. So uh, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but you can if you want. In the Old Testament, the book of Amos. Now, I know it's probably been a lot of Sundays since you turned to Amos, but it's in there. It's in the Minor Prophets. Otherwise, just follow. Actually, there's not even a screen for it because I just want to talk through it. Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, Amos is a prophet, and he's, he's used by God to speak to various nations around the world this time. And Amos is delivering a not very nice message. He's, he's, he's delivering a message of, of scolding the leaders of all these different nations. And so he goes to nation one, and he says, you know, you leaders have done this, and nation two, and you leaders have done that. And, and so he does this over and over again, but specifically time after time, what God is scolding the nations for through the prophet Amos is for the leaders of those nations not protecting the negative rights of their citizens. Like, for example, God judged the Philistines, this is in the beginning of chapter 1, because the Philistine leaders were selling their people into slavery. That doesn't protect their citizens. They were selling them off. Or later on in chapter 1, you have the Ammonites, and God is really aggressive against them because of the violence that the government leaders were doing against its people. They were even ripping open pregnant women. I mean, just horrendous stuff. And, and God is saying, you are not protecting your citizens and their right to be protected, their negative rights, over and over again. He even, for the Israelites, the people there, the people, the Israelites, God's people were selling their people into slavery. They were ignoring the poor. They were depriving justice to the oppressed. All these things were going on. They were not protecting their people. Now let's go to the New Testament. You can follow on the screen behind. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at this example as well. It says this. It says, first of all, then I urge that requests and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. 
for kings and all those who are in authority. Why? The answer is the question. In order that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So here the church is encouraged, is commanded to pray for its government leaders. That the government leaders, as I mentioned earlier, would fulfill the function to which God has for them their proper function. And what's that function? Again, we see here that it's to create and sustain a stable social order. That we're to pray for our government so that we as citizens can live peaceful and quiet lives, again, in all godliness and holiness, without fear of harm. Again, we see the government's job, primary job, is to protect its citizens. That's a limited role. It's not to provide everything, it's to protect, to provide negative rights. But this isn't the mindset today. Increasingly, the mindset is, again, that Washington will provide all that we need, that Washington will will satisfy every answer or fund everything that is needed, and so we look to them for all the answers. You know what's interesting is that studies show that as a culture or nation increasingly moves away from God, at the same time, they're de- they're in, they have, there's an increase in dependence on government. Isn't that interesting? That as a culture moves more secular, their need and dependence on government always increases. Why is that? It's because people, you and I and others, we need to look somewhere for hope. We need to look somewhere for transcendence. We need to look somewhere to, to, to link to something bigger than ourselves. And so as we as a culture remove God increasingly from the scene, government tends to fill the void. And we're seeing that in our country as well. But for us, for as followers of Christ, we worship the Lamb. We do engage politically, but in this case, we also support, as we've been talking about, a limited role in government. And when we do this, what that does is create space now for the church to engage. I want to show you a headline. This, this came out a couple of years ago in 2017, excuse me, last year, 2017. As you know, we had two terrible hurricanes that came through. We had, we had uh, Harvey and we had Irma. And look at this headline here. I just pulled this from my Facebook page just a while ago. But Christians outpace FEMA in aid to hurricane victims. Specifically, this was Texas. And did you know that 80% of the aid for the recovery of the hurricanes in Texas came from the church? The church showed up way before FEMA. And there was remarkable stories on the ground of Texans working together in community spirit. I know New Hope, I've heard, was down there last year serving as well. Another team going down here soon. We have a truck showing up next week for victims of uh, Hurricane Michael in Florida, and we're going to stuff the truck and, uh, and, and see that go away. It, it's, it's us. It's not sitting back and saying, well, government will do it. They'll pass the fix Humpty Dumpty law, and they'll take care of it. They'll do it. No, no. This is for us. Because as we do this, we show and share the love of Christ. This is our opportunity then to help people find and follow Jesus. And it looks like loading up water bottles in a truck. And it looks like having a fall festival here on a Wednesday night. And it looks like walking across the street with a plate of cookies and introducing yourself to a new neighbor. And it looks like being kind to a coworker in the cubicle next door. It looks like all these different expressions of pointing people with our lives and our words to Jesus, the King of Kings. This is what we get to do. This is what we get to do. Government should have a limited role because the church, we should have a big role. 
a big role in engaging for good in our local community here, Adel, Dallas County, Iowa, United States, and around the world. This is what we get to be a part of. I want to close with one last illustration. Because some of you this morning might be wondering, like, okay, so we've got these three convictions, and that's helpful, but, like, how do I do that today? Like, how do I live as a Jesus follower in today's political climate? And what I want to do to try to answer that question is I want to close with an illustration. Uh, here's how the illustration goes. Next slide. Every year, I'm new to the area, and so I'm learning the fierce rivalry between the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Iowa State Cyclones. And so once a year, they get together, and they take the field, and they are going to battle it out. Now, on the field, the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes are built to oppose each other, aren't they? One's going this direction, one's going that direction. I mean, they're going to collide. The entire game is that fight back and forth between who's going to get the ball in the end zone. You know how football works. That's how it goes. These teams oppose each other. And I want to suggest to you by way of illustration that one team is like the Republican Party and the other team is like the Democrat Party. They're built to oppose each other. They're built not to get along. And so if you ever wonder, like, well, why can't they get along in Washington? Because they're not supposed to because they're opposing teams, because they, they have very different ideas about the future of our country, because they have very different values about how they go about politics, because they're built to oppose each other. That's the nature of politics, at least in a two-party system like we have. It's the Hawkeyes against the Cyclones. And somebody, every November, every other November, whatever, somebody's going to win. That's just the nature of politics. That's how it works. But whenever the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones take the field together, there's actually a third team on the field. You may know what that team is? I think I heard it. The, the team of officials. There's a third team on that field. And they're on the field, but they're not of the field. And they're involved in all the chaos of, of the game, if you will, but they're not a part of it. Because the team of officials answers to a different authority. That's the NCAA. They answer to them. And so it doesn't matter which team, Hawkeye, Cyclone, are yelling at the team of officials. It doesn't matter what the crowd is doing, booing or cheering them. It does not matter because the team of officials answers to a higher authority. And I want to suggest to you that the team of officials, by way of illustration, is the church. We're on the field, but we're not of it. And there's boos, and there's crowds, and there's chaos, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. But we have a different mission and we have a different rule book that we adhere to this. This is the highest authority. And we come back to this and we answer to a different king who's not in Washington, the White House, Congress, Supreme, it does not matter. He's not there. We answer to a different king. We worship the lamb but we're to do good in our community. We are to engage. We are to get involved. And we'll use some different ideas this morning to talk about. And government has a limited role because it's the church's job to pick up the ball. It's our opportunity to stuff trucks, to take mission trips, to love Adele, to do all the kinds of things that we as New Hope Church are striving to do. This is our opportunity. This is our time. And so don't be surprised when the Democrats and the Republicans fight when they argue, and the banjo come on if you would, please. Don't be surprised when they don't get along. Let's strive as followers of Jesus to be that other team on the field, the team of officials that plays a different role. Can we, can we pray together, and then we're going to worship? And specifically, we're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for our leaders. 
and more. Let's, um, let's play together. Father God, we thank you for a chance to take on a different kind of topic this morning. To, to consider that you, you invented, you created government, and you spell out in your word the role of government. And this morning as the church, as your church, we pray for our leaders from the federal, state, and local level. We pray for our leaders that they would be men and women that would strive to honor you, that, that uh, they would put you first, that they would uh, express dependence on you. We pray for our nation, that our nation would, uh, would, would revive for our Christian roots, that the church would rise up, including new hope of being a part of it in our corner of the world, to point people to you. And Father, I pray for us as a church that as we get involved and we point people to you here in Adel and around the world, we pray that you would help us to be effective in that. We pray for this stuff the truck thing that we're doing this week as this stuff comes to Lincoln Bank all week as, as we, it's, the truck is here next week at Food Truck Sunday and is, is open and people are stuffing it. I pray that it would be a blessing, a tangible expression of love for the people hurting in Florida. Father, do something very special with this. And Father, as we're praying, we also lift up Bridgeway City Church. We pray that today as they, as they meet, as they have their first worship gathering, that you would bless the time that people, men, women, boys, and girls, through this ministry and this young church would come to know you personally as their Lord and Savior. Father, we're excited about what you're gonna do through Bridgeway. Lord, we commit all this to you and we thank you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said.